0: But now Fry's English Delight with Stephen Fry and a chat about the weather.
1: It's really hot again today, isn't it?
0: Why is it that conversations about the weather always sound stilted?
1: But I don't think it's as
2: hot as yesterday.
0: A computer animated English conversation lesson online.
2: Probably
3: not. Do you know what the weather's going to be like tomorrow?
0: Not very animated at all. In real life, of course, these polite, getting-to-know-you conversations have nothing to do with the weather.
1: It's going to be hot again, unfortunately.
0: Their equivalent in the dog world is perfunctory bottom-sniffing, talking without saying much. And what about novels that start with the weather?
4: When you start with the weather, you're starting by describing the wallpaper. You're not actually doing anything.
0: Dr Sarah Burton, writer and director of the Master's Degree Course in Creative Writing at the University of Cambridge.
4: You're delaying starting the story, very often. What's the most uncontroversial subject? The weather. Inexperienced writers often think that they are helping the reader into the story by talking about the weather. But in fact, I think they're often helping themselves into the story. I would just discourage it as a place to start from, unless it's really intrinsic to the story that you're telling.
0: Well, in our case, it is intrinsic to the story that we're telling. Our story, to observe how the language, the English language, is used to describe and deal with this inescapable phenomenon. Not sure it's uncontroversial, though. And while wallpaper is one way of dismissing the ubiquity of weather... It was a dark and stormy night. ...some writers can get carried away. The rain fell in torrents. ...except at
3: occasional intervals when it was checked by a violent gust of wind... ...which swept up the streets. For it is in London that our scene lies, rattling along the housetops and fiercely agitating The
0: steps. rather overcooked opening to Bulwer-Lytton's 1830 novel... Paul Clifford, which inspired Scott Rice, emeritus professor of English at San Jose University in California, to start a writing competition, which has been going since 1982.
5: It is a contest to produce, yeah, deliberately bad opening sentences to imaginary novels. So it's just saying the rules are childishly simple. You know, one sentence is an entry. I always say that the contest appeals to two kinds of people, you know, which is good writers pretending to be bad writers and bad writers pretending to be good writers pretending to be bad writers. He was a very popular writer in his age, every bit as popular as Charles Dickens. I think like most people, certainly most Americans, we were familiar with that line from the Peanuts comic strip, because the cartoon Beagle, Snoopy, is frequently getting on top of his doghouse with a typewriter and starting a novel, and always begins with, It It was a dark and stormy night. It's been expressed by Elmore Leonard. He, He wrote a book once, Ten Rules of Writing. He said, Never open a book with weather the reader is apt to leap ahead looking for people. And Bulwer-Lytton was guilty of that. He tries too hard to be literary on occasion. I mean, in one place he refers to a pipe, just a simple pipe, a smoker's pipe, as a Promethean tube. But then you have to be careful with
0: deities. Every time you start a story with some big weather, some easily created meteorological mood music, it's all too obvious you're playing God. The weather doesn't really exist in isolation. It's always about us. Don't you know each cloud can take from heaven. Our hopes, our fears, our futures, our weddings, gardens, cricket, for goodness sake. You'll find your fortune falling. Every time you write or talk about the weather, Every time, you seem to be talking about something else. Be sure that your
2: is down.
0: Until comparatively recently, in its very long but mostly unrecorded history, Heaven, or rather its proprietor, God, was in sole charge of the weather. The weather was thought to be language of a special kind. It was how God talked to us, parting the Red Sea or sending a great flood, storms, hail, drought, frogs. Big messages that shaped peoples and their world view. Mortals who had the audacity to predict what God would say next were in trouble.
4: It was considered to be a form of prophecy or foretelling, and therefore it was considered witchcraft and made legal under the Sorcery Act by Henry VIII. It then goes through further periods where it's very much considered an act of God. And then we hit the Enlightenment and science and then the dawn of forecasting in the late 1850s.
0: An admirable precie of weather forecasting from Catherine Ross, Meteorological Office Archivist. With God and fate slowly being replaced by science, people like meteorologist and forecaster Thomas Schaffernacker here are no longer likely to suffer the threat of public execution. Are you, Thomas? <laughs> Thank goodness. <laughs> but nonetheless, do your... I don't know what you would call them, your customers, do they ever get angry with you? Do they want your head on a plate for
1: either being wrong or for delivering news they don't want to hear? I think there's almost a sense that that people think we're able to control the weather yeah. so they they tend to say please make it sunny next weekend please can you stop the rain can you stop that weather front i saw those big black clouds on the tv can you make them go a little bit further north <laughs> so i say of course i will i'll just send a text message to mother nature and it'll all be absolutely
5: <laughs> fine
0: <laughs> Now, the yeah. forecasters also like to use references
1: to past weather, since records began, and so on. When did records begin? Oh, my goodness, we're talking about hundreds of years, but of course, not every record started hundreds of years ago. Some only started beginning of last century, uh, some have only been registered for, for a decade or two.
0: When forecasters use that phrase, since records began, they're talking about this.
5: So in
4: here, we have literally thousands of tons of paper representing the history of the weather as produced by the Met Office since 1854. Uh, We have tens of thousands of registers, charts, climatological registers, autographic records produced by instruments, literally anything to do with the weather. That is then duplicated around our four strong rooms to extend to hundreds of thousands of charts, registers, climatological returns, autographic records, those are the records created by the instruments themselves. Um, We have literally tons of material which records what happened yesterday.
0: It's what the Met Office like to refer to as our national memory of the weather and one pre-Met his national memory suggests God had a soft spot for the English. It wasn't just English ships that defeated the Armada, it was two great storms whose reverberations we still feel today. God blew and they were scattered, was the inscription on the Armada Medal. The first storm, in early summer 1588, forced the Spanish to turn back before leaving their own waters. Mike Hume, Professor of Climate and Culture at King's College London.
6: Then when it dispersed around the northern coast of Britain, a second gale further destroyed the Spanish fleet and it was never the same again. And, of course, in those two storm events in that summer, the English people saw God's saving hand at work in order to protect a Protestant queen from a a Catholic enemy. And this is a great example from 500 years ago of how one can read deeper moral purpose into the weather, and yet actually one can see elements
0: and traces of that same type of reasoning, I think, in in some of our contemporary discourse. Really? We had that interesting former UKIP man David Sylvester, who in 2012 warned David Cameron that disasters would accompany the passage of the same-sex marriage bill. Mr Sylvester later blamed Mr Cameron for the storms and floods that followed.
3: The scriptures make it abundantly clear that a Christian nation that abandons its faith and acts contrary to the gospel and in naked breach of a coronation oath will be beset by
0: natural disasters
3: such as storms, disease,
0: pestilence and war. Mind you, we also have some modern climate change activists referring to new patterns of weather as evidence of the natural system's metaphorical anger against us. It goes to show we do all look for meanings from weather. Let's dive back into the 16th century in a bit of Shakespeare weather. Not King Lear or the Tempest, though that was inspired by a real storm that occurred near the exotic Bermudas. Not Midsummer Night's Dream, where some freak weather was blamed on a territorial dispute between fairies and humans. No, let's do some comparative weather language in Henry V. The French, embodied in the character of the constable, are irritably looking for a link between the dreadfulness of English weather and the bravery of English soldiers. Why were drizzled on Englishmen such good fighters?
3: Dieu de Bataille, where have they this metal? Is not their climate foggy, raw and dull, on whom, as in despite the sun looks pale, killing their fruit with frowns? Can sodden water, a drench for sure jades, their barley broth, decoct their cold blood to such valiant heat? And shall our quick blood, spirited with wine, seem frosty?
0: Shakespeare wasn't talking about weather there. He was talking about climate and English character. These two English words, strongly related, often confused. So, Thomas Schaffernacker... What would you say is the difference between weather and
1: climate? There's a huge difference. Climate is about a location, whether the climate's very changeable, whether it's wet, dry. Yeah. Here in the UK, we have a very changeable climate. It's quite a wet climate. But temperate. But temperate, yeah. yes. So we do get swings of warm weather, but usually or cold weather, but yeah. usually it's somewhere somewhere in the middle. Climate is about averages, Is about what happens over a period of 30 years. That's the definition. Right. I think it was Mark Twain, was it, who said that um, climate is what you expect
0: and weather is what you get. Perfect. I think you could do my job. <laughs> so it's climate, then, that arguably shapes culture and language. And in Shakespeare's time, we could only talk and write about it, not measure it. Mike Hume. One didn't have
6: thermometers and rain gauges in the 16th century in order to describe what the temperature of a particular day was. You could see it as very evocative stage scenery and carries a signifier. It offers a powerful uh, way of communicating deeper and wider truths, whether they are eternal universal truths or very chauvinistic nationalistic truths (laughs) in Shakespeare's case. We still instinctively, intuitively, we want to see meaning and significance in the way in which the weather is performing. Maybe we're not that much different from Shakespeare, which is perhaps why his plays are actually so engaging
0: for us, even now, 500 years later. Like the French constable in Henry V, wondering how drizzly weather could produce such effective soldiers, we continued to need answers, narratives, about why natural things were as they were. And the explanation, when weather deviated from the expectations of our climate, was us, our sin. In 1661, fifty years after the first temperature measuring device was invented, the January weather was unseasonably warm. Plague was in the air. King Charles acted at once with a proclamation.
3: The King's Most Excellent Majesty hath, out of his own religious disposition.
0: Yes, yes, get on with it.
3: Well, resolved and hereby both command a general and public fast, to be kept through this whole kingdom, to divert those judgments which the sins of this land have mightily deserved.
0: It's that Ukip bloke all over again, a public demonstration of contrition for sin. And blow me down if the odd weather didn't go away. Things went back to cold old normal. So King Charles decreed another thank-you note to God in the form of another proclamation, including more instructions for his people. His Majesty hath assembled his High Court of Parliament, and being thereto
3: moved by petition of both the Houses of the Lords and the Commons... Yes,
0: all right, but what did he actually proclaim?
3: Well, all right, hath resolved, and hereby command, uh, general and public, fast to be kept through
5: the
0: whole... By the way, that second fast was broken by Pepys, who was a bit of a weather-watcher himself. Luckily, there was also another godless source of narrative, the more instinctive one, based on what could be observed and remembered. Catherine Ross at the Met Office again.
4: It's my favourite, I have to say of earthquakes earthquakes are caused by plenty of wind which getting into the holes and caverns of the earth and wanting a vent the earth closing again causeth the shaking or earthquake and is a token of ensuing war and other miseries from a a book called the pathway to knowledge which dates from the early 1700s
0: law in other words l-o-r-e one thing might be predicted to happen as a consequence of observations of another thing. Red sky at night, fries English delight. something it's not quite right, but you know what I mean. And this was one of the principles of starting a great British weather institution based on observations of measuring devices as well as precedent. Although it wasn't focused on the weather of the mainland...
4: The Met Office was founded in 1854 with the precise purpose of understanding more about the weather at sea in order to protect life and property. We were a seafaring nation. We had by that time a global empire. Um, We depended entirely on our, our shipping in order to survive in the world, so we needed to understand the weather at sea. In 1861, we launched our very first gale warnings service. Uh, The very first gale warning was in February 1861, and it was accurate, there was a gale, and that could be considered as potentially the very first national forecasting service
0: in the world. And whenever you hear the special English poetry of the British shipping forecast and the sea area Fitzroy... You're hearing a reference to Robert Fitzroy, who gave the world a very special English pair of words.
4: Fitzroy actually coined the term weather forecast, um, and he was very keen to use the term forecast, not foretelling or any other terminology, because that was, he considered that to be too much like a prophecy. His was a new science, the science of meteorology, and therefore he, he decided that the term weather forecast was a scientific term.
0: And here is that first-ever forecast. General weather
3: probable for the next two days in the north. Moderate, westerly wind. Fine. West, moderate, southwesterly. Fine. South, fresh,
0: westerly. Fine. Apart from the fact that Fitzroy appeared to predict no weather at all for the east of the country, how did he fare by modern meteorological standards? Meteorologist Helen Roberts.
2: The word probable there is, is interesting because it's one that we would still use when giving the public weather forecast today. We would never be definitive and say this is what is going to happen, this is what will happen. You know, the atmosphere is innately chaotic.
0: Chaotic?
2: Yes, and therefore we have to have some degree of uncertainty expressed with the forecast. The atmosphere um, is, a, is a chaotic system and I use that term in a scientific way. In order to know what's going to happen in the future you first of all need to know what the atmosphere is doing now and to be a hundred percent accurate you would need to know where every single atom and particle and you know in the entire atmosphere was and and we just can't do that so chaos is a strong term but it is a scientific term see this is where language comes into things again but but when we're using the, the word chaos in a scientific way um, what we're meaning is that um, there is always some degree of uncertainty in the atmosphere, and that's just the way things are. So even with the most powerful supercomputer and the best minds, and we're never going to be able to know 100% what, what the forecast will be.
0: Modern forecasters have to be very careful, especially given the unpredictable nature of the English or British weather.
2: Unpredictable is a phrase that actually really gets our goat.
0: Oh, sorry.
2: <laughs> um, no, it's not. There will be occasions where it's more difficult, but generally that is what we are there for. That's what our job is, is OK to forecast the weather, um, but the weather isn't unpredictable per se. And so one word that might sum up the UK weather is changeable. And changeable is a very different word Um The weather changes all the time, and it's often said that you can get four seasons in one day. To some extent, that's true. Things can change very rapidly, but that's not the same as unpredictable, because we can forecast those changes.
0: Other words with which one must exert care are good and bad, which carry personal judgments. If you've got hay fever
1: or sensitive skin, sunny days for you might be bad that's the kind of language that we have to be very careful about using in our weather forecasts because heavy rain in the southwest of the country for a farmer or gardener could be very good news whereas somebody holidaying in torquay it's bad news for them Mm -hmm. so when we give the weather forecast we have to keep that in mind and sometimes It is just giving the facts. It also depends what sort of events are taking place Mm. in a particular area. If we're talking about festivals, then we might want to sort of emphasise that it's not great news that perhaps rain's heading our way. But if there's nothing happening, Mm. then we stick to sort of facts.
0: And and if, yes, if obviously Wimbledon's coming up or a test match
1: or... So we don't want the rainfall. We don't want a heat wave. We want fair weather. We want nice weather. So I think that's when it would be appropriate because I think people can relate to, to those kind of words a little bit more. ...and we've already mentioned.
2: So, on a personal level, I get really excited about thunderstorms... ...and say for me, it's a good thing. But we do have a number of people who will ring us up... ...at the mention of thunderstorm in a forecast... ...and be really quite concerned.
0: And the science of meteorology has to cater... ...for these human differences and requirements.
2: So, we're in the operation centre in the headquarters of the Met Office in Exeter. This room will look the same at any time of day or night and any day of the year. So for us as professionals, there's much more to talking about the weather than just whether it will be a nice day tomorrow. Um, We're talking about how the atmosphere is behaving. We're talking about whether those observations match up with the output from our computer models and the implications and impacts of that weather. So each different area of forecasting is looking after a different customer, whether that be aviation, whether that be commercial, retail, media.
0: In the movie world, big productions working on outdoor locations actually insure against the wrong kind of weather. Specialist insurers use meteorological observations to calculate risk and the impact of risk on the movie's budget. But, in many cases, for the purpose of storytelling, special effects gods can make the weather dictated by the script. I'm going inside! Which, of course, we can't. We have to rely on interpretations of scientists. Nowadays, we can't responsibly have weather conversations and climate conversations without a long-term forecast. Back in 1661, the king thought, Wrongly, that people's actions had created a change in the climate. This time round, make no mistake, it is what we do and have done and are not doing that is changing the climate. What follows is a key conversation conflating weather and climate held on the Climate Change March on a surprisingly warm March day in 2015.
4: We've been saying it's ironic how much we've enjoying the good weather when, actually, that's what we're protesting against. You can freeze your tits off yesterday and today you're walking along in a t-shirt. I see it as an omen.
0: Well, it's definitely a coincidence, though, surely?
2: No, but it's an omen. It's, it's good weather in March.
0: You see? Omen. We still feel a need to look for meaning, even in small talk. What we've been observing in this programme isn't weather itself, it's how we talk and write about it. Of course, the science is important, but there are other observations we can make that are equally valuable and revealing. Remember Professor Mike Hume explaining how weather was always seen as having a deeper moral purpose and saying we still think a bit like that? Mike's professional story is relevant here.
6: I was a climate scientist, studying climate and its changes through numbers and models and all the tools and techniques and and languages of science. I worked on a lot of the climate data sets from around the world. I wrote reports for governments and public and private sector organisations, all of which coming out of a very strong scientific research background. But several things began to make me see that actually the way in which climate change was engaging the human world, the political world, the social world, the imaginative world, maybe actually realise that the more interesting and exciting work as a scholar, as an academic, as a professor, as a teacher, was the human, was the cultural That really required a different set of approaches and methods and tools and languages if we were really to understand how human beings were responding. But what science does is reduces the world to smaller and smaller pieces. It puts numbers on them, and it seeks to establish the mathematical relationships between those numbers. On that basis, you can offer models that try to predict the weather tomorrow, next week, and you can develop models that seek to predict the climate in 100 years' time. But in the process of doing all of that, you have lost something actually really quite important and fundamental about how humans understand their weather and their climate, which is some of the stuff that Shakespeare was telling us 4, or 500 years ago. What actually does this all mean? What does the prospect of climate change tell us about ourselves or about our duties to other humans in other places or other humans who've not yet been born? And this is a human story. This is about myth, it's about story, it's about ethics, it's about religion, it's about the supernatural, it's about the psychological, it's about everything that actually makes us human.
4: Poisoning
6: waters, once so
4: please.
0: And as we saw on the climate change demonstration, there isn't just one narrative. These demonstrators are singing in a very English way about the impact of fracking. And did the oil Elsewhere on the demo, we heard debate about population, veganism, GM foods, employment rights. And to the front while some on the same streets just wanted to get on with their lives.
1: Nice sunny day, day out. Yeah, nice sunny day. <laughs> <laughs> Interrupted by these going. people.
4: I think they're going now.
1: I'm all for the climate. I'm all for the climate and stuff, but this is just
0: I think this is a bit of a liberty now, you know. A civil liberty. I
4: have- that if you're
2: not moved within the next few minutes, we do have the power to arrest you. Oh, we are. They're going to be arrested. I'm going back to my car now and hopefully (laughs) on my way home for a nice um, afternoon in the garden.
1: No, I would never want to get arrested. I've got things to do tonight. I can't do them from a prison cell.
2: I don't want to go down that route. We are abiding by a peaceful protest and you've all been very respectful, but I have to inform you that if you want to talk about it or anything like that.
0: Well yes, we do want to, need to talk about it. But I can't stand this heat anymore. One observation we might make is that we haven't developed adequate language to debate how hypothetical future generations will be affected. As Marx, Groucho, asked, what has posterity ever done for me? Mike Hume. We
6: instinctively focus on the near term and those that are closest to us and some of the challenges that climate change is asking of us is are those forms of ethical reasoning if you will that have evolved
0: in us are they actually adequate in order to deal with an issue like climate change. One might think that education is at the forefront of talking about climate change with those most at risk, the not at all hypothetical future generations, that teachers should be required to talk about it in the classroom. In fact, the law is much more prescriptive about religious education than climate change education. A fact, I'd say, that one might find ironic given God's largely discredited role in the weather business. Worse than ironic, perhaps. At least this jab didn't get arrested in the end.
1: It's a failure of debate, and it's a failure of free speech, and a good democracy needs good debate. So I will say, yes, it's a failure of language.
0: At least they had good weather for it. It's lovely
5: day tomorrow Tomorrow is a lovely day
3: Prising English Delight was presented by Stephen Fry and the reader was me, Toby Longworth. It was a testbed production for BBC Radio 4.
0: Oh, Vera, if only things were still so simple.
5: Clear blue sky
3: The producer was Nick Baker.
5: Is weary, if every little
1: thing looks gray. To hear more of that weather chat between Stephen and Thomas Schaffernacker, go to the BBC Radio 4 website. Next week on Fry's English Tonight, Secret English.